We will be reading Psalm 55 this morning. I think there's a, a slide that has the page number right there on the screen. And then we would like slide number three. So today, here we are. We're going to talk about enemies. What we talk about today may sound a little familiar from a couple weeks ago when we were talking about anger because they go together. So um, we're going to, Kevin and I are going to take turns reading Psalm 55, and um, we'd like you to follow along. So the first eight verses, our author is in despair in prayer. So I'd like you to think, I'd like you to try to put yourself in the place of this person. Kevin's going to really describe what's going on in this, in this author's life. But if you can put yourself into the, uh, the verbs and the emotion of this person, and then maybe something will pop up for you of a, of a real life scenario that's yours that would help you really dive into this psalm. Here we go. Listen to my prayer, O oh God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. At the voice of the enemy, at the stairs of the wicked. For they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The tears of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. Now the text becomes full of disorientation and his demand for justice. Listen to his heart and anger. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. Now he talks to how much deep pain he's feeling. Look at verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil, belong, for, evil, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. You can tell it's just really on his mind, because evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. I'm one of them. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. 
His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. So now he turns and begins to, sh to shift his heart. He starts to cast your cares on the Lord, he says, and the Lord will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Thank you. So let's, let me make some, a couple of points in the text, and I'll tell you a story behind this. So look at verse 1. Listen to my prayer, O God. Don't ignore my pleas. Verse 17, evening, morn, and noon, I cry out in distress. Verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord. And finally, verse 23, but as for me, I trust in you. Did you catch all the conversation, the words around enemies? Let me explain the enemies here. And I'm going to be, I need, I'll, I'll try to do PG, but the story is actually probably close to X-rated. 2 Samuel 15, 16, and 17. Here's the backstory. We think the author is a man named David who was the king, and the enemy, his friend, is called Ahithophel. Ahithophel, according to the text of Scripture, was the wisest counselor in Israel. He was one who heard from the Lord, and he would give David great advice. David's son, Absalom, wants to take over the throne and wants to kill his dad. So he gets David's best friend, his top advisor named Ahithophel, and gets him to go against David. This is how bad it gets. Ahithophel gives this advice to Absalom. You want to you embarrass your dad? This is where it's X-rated. I'm going to hide it. Read the passage. Um, go get his concubines. Put them on the roof of the palace and engage in some X-rated activities so all of Israel can watch you violate your father's girlfriends. Show them. And he's such a brilliant strategist after this. He says, now, you want to get your dad? You want to kill him, Absalom? You take your 12,000 best guys, you go after him right now, and you'll kill him, and you'll become the new king. That's who David is writing about. So look at the words again now. Now that you know that, think about some of these words. Verse 2, my thoughts trouble me. I'm in distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. Verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. They want to kill him. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Look at verse 9, 10, 11. Two weeks ago, I talked about anger. We looked at anger psalms. Remember what I said two weeks ago, that often unresolved anger is released as poison in the community. Look at verses 9, 10, 11. Look what's happening to the city of Jerusalem. 9, 10, 11. Lord, confuse the wicked, Confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls, and malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. Poison is being released all through the city. Now let's go, stop a second. Unresolved anger always carries a bit of self-righteousness and vainglory. Always. We carry that. Self so you can hear David being self-righteous about his enemy, but he's also fearing for his life. There's a tremendous amount of emotion here. But also, unresolved anger is releasing poison. So let me stop a second. This is why this is so important, I believe, to us. We're living in a time, I, my opinion, 
when because of our incredibly uh, efficient technologies, we are poisoning our culture with unresolved anger and hatred. It is filling the streets. It is filling the streets from cities to small towns. Am I speaking the truth? So what these psalms do, this anger psalms, remember the anger psalms? You take your anger and you give it to the Lord. You give your anger to the Lord and let the Lord deal with that. Lord, you deal with my enemies. In this, in the, in the enemies, it's, okay, I'm going to confess my anger, my hurt, my pain, but ultimately I'm going to give it to you. So let me, let, you, let me walk you through this. Slide four. Let me, here's what you see over and over in the enemy psalms, all through the psalm, all psalter. You have despair. You have an acknowledgement of how much pain I feel because of whatever my enemy has done. Look, let me just stop for a second. Lane said this before. Let me say it again. As we do this together, would you be thinking about who your enemy is or enemies are? Or who your enemies have been? Because it's important to let some of this emotion rise so that we can address it as the psalmist does. We need to name our despair. We need to give our complaints. But then there's a movement in intentionally praying. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you a word picture. I learned this this week. I think it's right. If it's not, please email me and correct me. But I think this is true. I talk about a bamboo tree. I am told, I read this week, that a bamboo tree, when you plant it, water it, care for it, for five years, you see nothing. In the sixth year, the bamboo tree grows 99.0 feet. You see nothing for five years, and then there's growth. Why do I bring this up? If we're going to deal with anger and enemies, please listen now. We want to be disciples of Jesus as we deal with this. A disciple of Jesus is someone who says what Jesus says, who thinks what Jesus thinks, who does what Jesus does as though Jesus were living his life in us. Let me, let me stay, stay now with enemies. So I want you to think about, I said this last week, I want you to think about Jesus right before he died. His best friends, 12 best friends, are all going to run and leave him. What does he do with them? He takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. He's giving, he's feeding his friends who will betray him to death. He gives them a cup of juice and says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, you do it. He is blessing his enemies. We want to say, do, think what Jesus, stay with me. This is where it's going. Are we willing to bless our enemies? That's where we're going to end up. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12 in just a few minutes and look at 17 through 21. And we'll see what, but, but listen, you don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying become better Christians, do better. That's not what we're saying. Please don't hear that. What I'm suggesting is we want to be like Jesus. We want to be so connected to Jesus, his life in us, his word, his words, his spirit in us that we naturally do. So think about Jesus now. Jesus knows they're going to betray him and he still blesses them. What prayer did we just pray? Did allow lead us in? Forgive us our as we forgive those, if you go on in the passage, what does Jesus say? Jesus, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Jesus here. If you follow the Lord's Prayer, the next paragraph after it's done, 
Jesus said, if we don't forgive those who have hurt us, we won't be forgiven. I'm just quoting Jesus here. When Jesus is on the cross, he's looking at people who are really good at killing, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you think Jesus was going, okay, this really hurts, and I need to think the right thing to say here because i got to prove a point because someday they're going to write a Bible and I need to have the right words so that I can help them write the Bible later on so that in Pella I, in 2022, do you think Jesus did that? Jesus was so connected to his father that his father's life just came from him. That's who we want to be. We want to pray for our enemies. We want to pray for those who persecute. But there's a, there's a progression. Slide four again. Here's the progression. We, start, we have to name our despair. We've got to name it. We have to complain. It is absolutely appropriate, according to the Psalms, to complain to the Lord. But then there's a movement toward intentional prayer. Could you look at verse 17 there? Look, look, or, yeah, 17. Look at the intentional prayer movement here. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. So there you have despair, complaint, but now there's intentional. Evening, morn, and noon. Now let me, let me stop for a second. If we're going to, stay with me, please. If, if we want to become people who live and act as Jesus did, his life in us, we have to figure out, as you and I are wired, how to be connected to Jesus. So here's the presupposition. He's not dead. We don't, I do not believe Jesus is dead. I believe he is alive. I believe he's speaking. I think he's giving gifts. He's giving empowerment. He's giving us life. Am I speaking the truth here this morning? So if that's, the, if that's true, then I want to be connected to Jesus. So there is intentionality required if we're going to become a connected Jesus. So three times a day. So typically a practicing devout Jew would pray at 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock. And there were liturgical prayers they used. If you follow the sense the Benedictine formula, there are seven times people pray in a day. Why? It is to get recentered so that we are constantly thinking about the presence of Christ in us. See, this is my great concern. I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading stuff about brains again. And I'm just, so, let me just use myself. So, so this is not intended to be bragging. I just, I'm just going to make a point about my brain. So when I was younger, I have, I've been a speed reader for about 45 years now. And in a month, in my study month, I could read 300 books in a month. I cannot read like that anymore because I'm using my phone. And what the phone does, it changes your ability to think and read at deeper linear levels. And so what I'm finding is I can't read like I used to because my brain is changing and it's got to be stimulated and it's got to be quick and it's got to be fast. And I can't think deeply. I can't read deeply. My brain, my brain is changing. If that's true, how do I get the words of Jesus into my heart and into my mind? 
so that the spirit of Jesus can take those words and can make them come alive. Become words that just live out of me and through me. Again, it's not, I want to be a better Christian. Don't be a better Christian. Don't be a better Christian. Be a disciple of Jesus. That's what we're poking at together. So as we deal with enemies, we start with despair. You think Jesus, I want you, oh, let me take Jesus. He's on the cross. My God, my God. I think he's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. I believe Jesus was screaming that. Imagine the pain. He has never disobeyed. He has never been out of fellowship with his father, ever. And he, I believe he is screaming, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine how much emotion was in that scream? There's despair and there's complaint. But he has been a man of intentional prayer. Why throughout the gospel accounts is Jesus always going off to pray? Why is he doing that? Isn't he just God? He is God and man, and he is trying to make deep connections so that his life is so connected that it's God's life being lived through him. So there is intentional praying. So I did this two weeks ago. I have three things. I use, I'm sure, 50 times a day at least. I say the Jesus prayer. I say the Lord's prayer, Psalm 23. I say them over and over and over. Why? Because I want to stay connected. I want my head and my heart to be connected to Jesus. I want to stay in that I want to stay. I am mindful that Christ is with me. I want to stay there. Why? So that he can live his life. That, you follow me this morning? So, so we push. We, we, we want, I want to lose weight, so I'm going to eat a healthier diet. I want to get stronger, so I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to become a, be good in some skill. I'm going to practice and practice. And we do all these things. Why don't we think, why don't we do that with Jesus? So I've been, so I've been invited the last couple of weeks involved with different families who are not part of our church family, whose loved ones are becoming close to transitioning from this life to the next. And in several occasions, people who are 20 years older than me. Listen, they're asking if they've done enough to get into heaven. What's the right answer to that? No. No one's done enough to get into heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. He made the way to heaven. But remember, we're not trying to go to heaven. We're trying to bring heaven to earth. Right? Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus comes back, the kingdom comes in fullness. So what we're trying to do is be so engaged that his life is lived. So, real quick, we despair. Enemies, ah! We complain, ah! We pray regularly, and then we choose to trust. Blank screen, Jim. Let me tell you, I'm going to clean up a story just a little bit. Years ago, we lived, and I was, I'm going to really clean it up. A pastor of a different church, we were, different place. Our church wanted to build a preschool for single mothers. And where we lived, there were 210,000 people lived within a three-mile radius of our church. There were 7,000 single moms, almost all women of color, almost all without husbands. So we have all these babies, young people. 
we want to be pro-life. So we said, we are, we're going to build a preschool. We're going to take one offering, and we're going to build a building, and we're going to create a, a subsidized place for thousands of women have the opportunity to send their children to a place where they be loved and safe and fed, and we love them the love of Jesus. Some people in the neighborhood heard about it and were very angry. And it got into the LA Times, the Long Beach Press-Telegram, at the city council meeting, there were hundreds of people there who were screaming at our church for wanting to help single mothers. An incident happened with our family and I was crazy angry, 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 angry at this person who was leading the charge. Now I'm gonna, slide four again, please. I, didn't, I did none of that. For 20 years, I gave that guy the finger in my head every time I saw him. I hated him. Remember now, anger, unresolved anger, vainglory and self-righteousness and poisoning of the atmosphere. Can you imagine what it was like in our neighborhood because of my unresolved anger? I did not despair to the Lord. I did not complain to the Lord. I did not intentionally pray for my enemy, and I did not trust. I was just stinking crazy mad for 20 years. Isn't that something? Now think how much poison I released in our neighborhood because I did not deal with my sin. I didn't despair to the Lord. I didn't complain to the Lord. I did not pray for my enemy. I cursed him. Now it's interesting. It took 20 years. It took distance. It took time. But now when I go back to that same area, I can see that person and we can talk. But I can tell you, I did not do that. And I was filled with rage. And I released it all kinds of ways. Let me ask you, when you have an enemy, what has been your response to your enemy? And what happens to you, to me, what happens to us when we do not deal, do this? Let, let me just jump ahead just a little bit. Uh, Jim, page number for, for um, Romans, Romans uh, 12. Check this out. Come back to, we want to be like Jesus. Romans 12, verse 9. The heading at Romans 12, verse 9, is love in action, agapao. So he says, Romans 12, verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Okay, that sounds okay. I can kind of, you know, okay. Look at verse 17. Now think about my situation. I'm crazy mad at this, at this person in this group. Think about me. Just look, do not repay anyone evil for evil. I was hoping something bad would happen to that guy and his family. Isn't that, isn't that terrible for me to say that to you publicly? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of anyone. I didn't. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I did not. Do not take revenge. Well, I didn't do it, but I wanted to. But leave room for God's wrath. He wasn't doing anything, so I was mad at him too. It is mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. And I thought, never going to happen. Now read this. If your enemy is hungry, Kevin, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And then do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, 
Why didn't I do any of that? Because I was just being a good Christian. I can just pick what I want and what I don't want to do in the Bible because I can just decide what I'm going to do. But a disciple says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do with this guy who's defaming this church and trying to help these single mothers? What would you have me do for this person that I am so angry at? I am so spitting mad. I can still feel the emotions still rising. That's 35 years ago. I can still, it, can, it just comes right here. Are you thinking about your enemies? Are you thinking about intentionally three times a day praying for your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. And it's not because we just, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna. No, it's just natural. It's just Jesus saying on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is this, is this, is this fair? If I, if, I, if I was honest and I look back at the person who was opposing our church's move to help these single moms, if I actually took time to listen to what his concerns were, to hear his heart, I wonder if I would have not had so much rage and anger against him. I did not hear a thing because I was self-righteous, because I was vain, and obviously I know what our neighborhood needs. These single moms need a church, a preschool, and this guy's an idiot. How arrogant is that? How self-righteous is that? How vain is that? What would have happened if instead... I prayed blessing. Lord, bless this man. I don't know what he's so upset about. I don't know why he's going to the LA Times. I don't understand. I don't know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless. I'm going to bless. What would have happened? I don't know. But I know I would have been a different person because the rage just raged for decades. Now, isn't it crazy? So, I'd, so I could take that rage and anger and I could just put it aside and I could, I could live the good Christian life until something poked that thing, and the anger and the rage would just come right back again. But what the anger psalms do and the enemy psalms do is fundamentally says, we're going to give it all to you, Lord. So let me give you another slide. Um, slide five. This comes from David Taylor. A book, I can't remember the title of the book, but anyhow. Psalm 55 and other enemy psalms. Taylor suggests, and I think this is so good, if you read the enemy psalms, the psalmist always pairs verbs. So he says we name our enemies, but we love them. The word is agapao, to will the good of the other. We name what's evil and wrong. We name it. But we love. We pair them. They're paired. How about this? We expose what is evil, what is bad, but we release the person to the Lord. Is this, is this true? I can expose someone, and I don't release them to the Lord. I didn't release my neighbor for all those years. I just hated the guy's guts. I didn't release him. I just hated him, mad at him. What would have happened if instead of that, I gave him to the Lord? I said, Lord, you're going to deal with him. How about this? We can rebuke, which is to gently, this is not like this. It's, I disagree with that. I think that's wrong. 
but we can still serve. That's what Jesus did. Let me push into this one more time. Third time now, two weeks. It's just incomprehensible to me. Stay with me. We believe Jesus is fully God and fully man, yes? Fully God, fully man. So we look at the, at the upper room story and we think, well, he was God, no wonder he could do that. No, he had to decide. His humanity had to engage. And Jesus had to decide in his humanity, will I bless those who are not gonna betray me? And if I told you, historically, the Romans would kill people like by a crucifixion, and they would do things like put 3,000 Jewish people in a row. Now, crosses weren't way up here like this. Crosses were just a little bit bigger than me. So you're walking down the road, and you're looking at 3,000 people being crucified, naked, defecating, urinating, asphyxiating, dying a slow death. 3,000 people. Jesus knows that's where he's going. And what's his response to his friends who are going to betray him? He takes off his outer garments. He gets a bowl of water, and he washes their stinking, literally stinking feet. And then what does he do? He takes the Passover meal and changes it. This is for you. This is you. Remember me. Remember what I've done. He said, remember at the end of the passage of the, of the foot washing? He said, do you know what I've done for you? And then the phrase is, you will be blessed, makarios, if you do it. Do what? Bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How does that happen? Willpower? No, no. It is being connected to Jesus. This morning, someone came up after the first service and wanted to share some things and felt like he hadn't done well, a good enough job of representing Christ. Well, this is my response. When I, when I, this is just me, so I'm trying to model something for you. When, when I know I missed the mark, when I know I sin, when I know I'm off, I am learning in my 67 years increasingly to just say, I missed it. Lord, forgive me, I missed it. Just name it, I missed it. Forgive me, I missed it. And then I just leave it and I go on. Just leave it and go on. What happens so often is we take all this stuff because we think we gotta, we gotta be good Christians. No, you don't wanna be good Christians. Be disciples of Jesus. Then we'll just be good people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How about this? Um, Let's take a time out. What are you thinking about right now? The person next to you, if you're willing, what are you thinking about? What's the Lord raising for you? What's running through your heart and your mind? Let's take about three minutes. If you don't want to talk, you don't need to, but if you would, what's, what's, what's processing? On the marks, get set, go.
Anybody? Somebody throw something. Let's see what's percolating. We'll go. Yes, Joy. It's the only way to have peace in your life. And Rick said, too, they might not even know they hurt you. Beautiful. Joy said, that's the only way to, it's the only way to have peace in your life? And Rick said, the enemy may not even know they hurt us. The guy that I was so crazy mad at, just some crazy preacher, who cares? He had no idea how much. Remember now, when, we're, when we have unresolved anger or we're letting enemies control us, it's like drinking poison and hoping they're going to die. But we drink the poison, we're going to die. So we can die relationally, we can die internally, whatever. For good. Thanks, Joy. So, yes, Connie. Oh, you're good, honey. You cry. And he goes, Connie, I know it's hard, but there's something you have to do. You have to forgive that person. Otherwise, your life will be able to go on and deal with it, and it will affect your life. And I really believe that because I wasn't going to let that person take away the joy of my life by letting that person be angry at him. And that's what it was doing. So, Connie, if I won't rehearse the story, but there was a, a horrible, tragic death in their family. And someone came to Connie and said, you're going to have to get on the road to forgiving if you're going to move beyond this incredible, tragic death. And so that it's, I mean, if I can just be pretty blunt here, if we will not bless our enemies, in, in our spirits, we're cursing ourselves. We're living with curses. We're being diminished on the inside. And so we start to shrink on the inside. Our hearts get hardened and we become so filled with venom. So it's, it's just damaging. So Connie, thanks for sharing so vulnerably with us. Thank you. And Don too. He's still dealing with it. Yeah. It's hard. It is. It's very hard. It's something that happens in yeah. your life. It's hard to be lost. Yeah. Connie, it hurts so Connie, bad. It hurts so bad. It, so my hurt and my anger with my enemy is nothing like what Don and Connie have dealt with. And it hurts in its heart, absolutely. But as when I was reading this part too, I will trust in the Lord. We do. Yep. We do. It's yep. the only way you're gonna live. Yep. Yep. If you don't have that trust, it's gone. So could it be that one of the one of the, here's a weird here's a weird question. In some weird way, could our enemies be used by the Holy Spirit to push us to places where we have to choose to trust? Our enemies and those who attack us, who diminish us, who hurt us, in some way, does the Lord invite us in that saying, you're just going to have to trust in me because you can't figure this one out. You, you, can't, you can't fix it. You're just going to have to. So that's good, Connie. Thank you. Somebody over here, this side, anybody? In the back, anyway. Okay, wherever. Yeah. Yep. That's Christy way back there. Yep. And I just the thought came to my 
Yes. So Christie's comment was the fruit of the Spirit is for others. So let me take that analogy a little farther. So imagine a tree. Let's pretend, let's pretend I'm an apple tree. And there's all these apples. So you come to me, and what do you do when you're an apple tree? If you can, if you're permission, you do. You pluck the apple, and you eat it. That's her analogy. We carry, we bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and people pluck that from us. But that's why Jesus said, but you have to abide in me so that we can be replenished with more fruit because the fruit is taken. Yeah? One more person. Thank you, Christy. One more. Decide anybody? Okay. So this, this is what we just tried to together process. So in, this, in the enemy's psalms, they normally begin with despair, crying out in despair. Then there's often conversation about how disoriented and confused, I'm so angry, so hurt. There's often a demand for justice. Somewhere in there, there's probably going to be a commitment to praying. It's casting our cares on the Lord, and it's choosing to trust. So choosing to trust is our call. That's what we get to do. We get to say, I'm going to trust in you. Okay? Let me offer a prayer that I've written about enemies, and then we're going to respond with some songs and just praise the Lord for his kindness to us. Would you join me in prayer, please? Oh, Lord, you ask us to do the impossible. You ask us to bless our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to love those who seek us harm. So we're praying that you would enable us to do the impossible by being so connected to you and with you that we will love our enemies as you love them. But Lord, would you also help us to remember who our true enemies are? We're mindful that we have an enemy whose name is Satan, an enemy whose name is death, and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. They're spread all across this region. So we're praying for miracles, Lord. Perform a miracle in our enemies by your spirit. And in your sovereign might, restrain the power of evil throughout southeast Iowa. And we pray, restrain the power of evil throughout the world. We pray this in the name of the one who is our, who is our way maker, the one who does impossible things. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.